Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. While a lot of software development teams have good workflows, sensible management, and good working relationships, Unfortunately, that's not true of every team. Some managers have a management style, if you could call it that, that results in them hovering over your shoulder and continually asking for updates, questioning every decision, and kind of generally making work more difficult than it has to be. In this episode, we're going to discuss micromanagers. We're going to talk about some strategies for dealing with a micromanager without quitting your job. And you know, it's a common problem that isn't impossible to fix so long as you go into it with the right attitude. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, the bills this time of year are pretty annoying. I got one from the HOA um, and it was for quite a few months of payments, which I mean, I had the money, but they could have like started sending me a bill in like say April. Yeah. But they didn't until like, I think two days before Christmas, they actually sent me the bill and it, you know, it was due December 31st. And I'm just like, yeah, I I'm not paying this right now, right before Christmas. You're going to have to wait a pay period or two. And it was such a pain, like, you know, tr- trying to find my account number and all the stuff to send back to them. Like, why can't you print that out on the card that I'm sending back with it? And then go into their little portal and being like, okay, I want to log on and do the bill instead. Oh, wait, you can't get an account. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's like, I can send you a check within three minutes. Why are you making this hard if you, if you want money? It just blows my mind how some of these companies are doing this and just how poor some of the operations are. So that's the, I guess that's the main beef. Right now, um, other than that, the other thing I did is I got the release candidate uh, for Scrivener 3 for Windows. Cool. Um, I was going to bail out of using Scrivener because it was just, it was getting really dated on Windows. However, this release candidate is very usable. Nice. And it has a built-in nice dark mode so I can actually use it you know, and stand it. Got a few features that I, that are improvements, but mainly it's just, it's cleaner. Like it's not a you know, circa 2003 looking user interface that, I mean, it looks modern and it cool. functions. Well. That's so, really nice. Yeah. So, um, been using that and I'm shifting stuff over to it now instead of trying to use home kit, mm-hmm. mainly just because it was getting very frustrating moving pieces around because I was having to rename files. Yeah. And yeah, it's not cool. So how about you? Well, I bought a utility kilt. So I have a great kilt around here somewhere but I can't find it. So I bought this one on Amazon. Our sound lead, and I am the camera lead at church, are going to wear kilts to our tech team taco night, which also happens to be on my birthday. Uh, it's uh, It's been quite some time since I've worn a kilt. Uh, when it came in, I tried it on. And uh, dude, I'd forgotten how comfortable they are. Like, legit. I just can't think of a better way to enter my 40s than in a kilt. <laughs> you might as well. 
though uh, Amanda doesn't agree with me on that. Uh, I don't think she uh, she's into the kilt culture. So there is that dude. Streaming services are getting as bad as Microsoft about forced updates. Like yeah. it's it's ridiculous. The other night I was watching Netflix and the show stopped right at the climax. Like the good guys are just escaping the trap when all of a sudden it just stopped because of a forced update. Like, yeah, when I watch TV, I really get into the shows and that totally just ripped me out of the zone. Yeah. And you don't know how long you're going to be sitting there either watching the little spinner. Yeah. And like the thing is, I know they didn't have to update at that exact moment. Yeah. Like I get it. If you're like, Hey, we're updating our APIs. We have to force these updates. But if it were something like that, then it would have been when I first logged in. Right. Cause this or, is like the second episode I was watching of the show. So it's not like I, I had just started. I'd been watching for about an hour and a half at this point, but you know, it, it it's just annoying because like, you know, they don't have to right then. And like, it, it would make sense. Like you could set it. If you have to force an update, you could set it to go at the end of the episode. Like when it's switching between them and be like, Hey, we got to update between episodes. So we're not interrupting your experience here. But you know, the thing is, is they're such a big company that they're going to do phased rollouts anyway. Yeah, I know. That's, that's why I know they didn't have to force that up. Well, I mean, they, right they have in. a blog and they take pride in that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran into that with the tool that I use for practicing Russian and it hit me yeah. in the middle of a session and did that. And when I tried to come back in, it would not work on my tablet. So I had to go uninstall from the tablet, install on my phone, find my password, do all that crap. And it like, it's the last thing I do before I go to sleep. Yeah. And it's uh, honestly, it kind of reminded me of my mom when I was a kid. Like, for example, I'd be watching a one hour TV show and she'd suddenly decide at, the 45 minute mark that she needed me to do something. Having not said anything about this beforehand, she suddenly decides and her reasoning is, well, you got to watch most of it. Like I let you watch 45 minutes of it. Yeah. But I didn't get to see the good part. Like the, that whole 45 minutes was leading up to right now. And like, yeah, she's wanting to have this argument while I'm trying to watch the show. And this was back, you know, before before you pause. pause. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, that reasoning would work now where you could be like, all right, pause it, go do the thing and then come back and watch it. But this was like, it was, I, I don't know. I, it frustrated me uh, a lot when I was younger. And I, I think my mother finally figured out what she was doing. Like, cause like I explained it to her. I'm like, all right, let's say you're, you're in church and you're listening to this, this sermon that really, really reaches you. And someone comes up, 45 minutes into this an hour long service and says, Hey, I need you to go do this. Yeah. Or say that you're watching a show that you really like. Yeah. My mom didn't really watch TV. So yeah, mine really didn't either, but (laughs) see, that's the thing I could, I could have done that. Like I would have totally like timed it and like pestered her at the 45 minute mark to show her, but she didn't really watch TV and she didn't care when she did. She didn't care enough about it. So small groups, have started this semester at church. Uh, I'm not leading one this time, so I can focus on coaching the leaders. Amanda is leading a small group with one of our friends. So it's become sort of our habit during the school year to sit at a coffee shop Sunday evenings and study. Uh, So they turned that into a small group 
but they moved the time from the evening to the afternoon. So okay. like, I think it's two to four that we're going to be sitting at a coffee shop. And so it's like, we'll have enough time to leave church, go get something to eat. And then, you know, walk scout and head over there. So anyway, it's, it's going to be fun. A smart way of kind of like combining the two things. Like Amanda was like, I need to spend more time studying. So I can't do as many small groups at church. And now she's like combining small group and study. So, so far, it's just the three of us that have signed up for it. The two of them leading it and then me as their one member. So we'll see how, you know, I, I'm going to promote it for them, uh, though, around the church and stuff. Be like, hey, you know, this is a really good time just to get together and study as a group kind of thing. Saving money is hard, especially coming out of the holidays and getting hit with sudden bills. Yeah, Lucas Casares is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at CDP, he focuses on helping you not only establish a plan for your life going forward, but also helps you figure out how to execute that plan and get you going. Yeah, a lot of people think they may be too young or they don't make enough money to use a financial planner. Level Up has a really unique pricing model. Like it is, I've looked at financial planning and, you know, compared Lucas with others. Like financial planning in general is pretty expensive, but he has a really cool pricing model that can really start with you where you are now and help you grow. Best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients, which means that he's not here to sell you something, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. This actually really works well with the incentive structure because he is not trying to sell you something. Instead, he's going to make you be set up for the best results for you instead of for him. So you can find some fun, free resources and just learn a lot more about you know finances and financial planning in general at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Work anywhere for long enough and you'll eventually run into a micromanager. And if you can't think of one, maybe it's you. Micromanagers will show up at your desk all the time asking for status updates, second guessing every single decision you could possibly make, including ones that you're not making, and even overriding your coding decisions, often in ways that are destructive to long-term productivity. It will quickly drive you nuts and it'll make you want to look for another job. However, before you quit... It can often be worthwhile to see if you can change the way that you interact with your manager. If you do this correctly, your micromanager may turn into your strongest advocate. You already know they're relentless, so it's worth considering pointing them somewhere else. Yeah, so before we jump into the episode, we should probably define micromanager. Because this is a term that gets used in a lot of situations, and sometimes it applies, sometimes it's misused. A micromanager is a manager who closely observes and controls or reminds the work of his or her subordinates or employees. And that's from Wikipedia. It's important to note that a micromanager isn't someone who asks for project updates when you're behind um, or someone who pulls you back from gold plating something or reminds you of a critical deadline. Like that is not micromanaging. A micromanager typically is someone who's overly anxious and controlling, which is reflected in their management style. 
uh, it's this understanding that is most important within this. So like, you know, knowing the difference between, all right, this is someone who is doing their job appropriately as a manager and, you know, reminding you of deadlines at the right time and, you know, like asking for updates when it's appropriate versus someone who is excessively doing it. And that's going to give you kind of a way to interact with this behavior. Yeah. I do want to say something too, before we get too far into this, I came up with this episode idea because I don't have a micromanager. <laughs> I know that a couple of my coworkers actually listen to this podcast now. So yeah, it, that's, that's not a problem there, but I was actually sitting in a meeting and going, wow, he really doesn't micromanage. And I was like, hey, that'd be a good episode idea. So that's literally saying the opposite yeah. there. But so, Will and I have both worked for micromanagers. Oh, like man. I've worked for them outside of development too. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not just a software development thing. Micromanagers are in every, well, everywhere you have managers, you have micromanagers. So in this episode, we're going to discuss micromanagers and we're going to start by talking about some of the reasons people become micromanagers. We'll then discuss some options for dealing with them, starting with approaches that don't work. Finally, we'll talk about some approaches that will help improve the relationship so that your manager trusts you enough to leave you alone and let you do your work. So first off, we're going to talk about why micromanagement is a problem. Constant reporting of status and watching over your shoulder instead of getting work done. And this can lead to more monitoring or mismanagement and more watching over your shoulder instead of getting your work. Yeah, it's, it becomes a vicious cycle pretty quick. And you know, the, the problem is, is that, like you said, it, it damages your ability to get things done. And so you don't get things done. So now they're more justified in keeping you from getting more things done. It also completely destroys morale among the team and tends to encourage backstabbing behavior, which increases turnover. So you'll have somebody that's a micromanager and somebody that wants to be left alone by the micromanager, and they'll throw a coworker under the bus to get them off their back, essentially. And what ends up happening is that coworker leaves, and the person who threw them under the bus is going, Well, I still can't get away from this micromanager. So they leave, and it's just this. Again, another vicious cycle. Uh, it, it also tends to give the impression that your boss will throw you under the bus to protect them, you know, themselves against their own boss because you know obviously they're watching everything you're doing. What are they going to say to their boss if they get in trouble? They're probably not going to take the heat for it. And finally, it wastes management's time, and this is typically more expensive and should be used to help make the team more efficient. So like, you know, management's time, you know, managers tend to get paid more than employees and their role should be to make their employees more efficient and better able to do their jobs. Micromanagement has the exact opposite effect. Yeah. And this is really the one that I think is the greatest waste that people actually miss because they don't think about, Hey, like this is, you know, this is somebody with, you know, making 30 K a year more than you. And they're sitting around over your shoulder, you know, perched there like a parrot and doing nothing useful. And that's a lot of cash getting burned for nothing. So given that this happens, let's talk a little bit about how people become micromanagers. It's not just a, 
an anxious personality, although I do think that's part of it with at least some of them. Oftentimes it's because it's their first job as a manager and they just don't know what they're doing. You know, half of all managers do this at some point at the very least. I mean, yeah. you remember the first time you managed people? Cause I remember first time I did and I just cringe. Yeah. Um, you know, it, there's, there's two ways to go. The first time you manage, you're either too lax or you're too uptight. I went the other direction and I was trying to be, you know, Oh, Hey, I, I don't want to be in your hair. Let me let you do your job kind of thing. And I ended up not providing them what they needed. Yeah. It's, it's really funny because I'd been in, that was my first time in an official management position at a job but I had done like volunteer management and that is completely different managing volunteers because they're not getting paid. So you literally have nothing to hold over their head. They can just walk away. And like that whole, the whole attitude and stuff is completely different when you're managing volunteers and a lot of the strategies apply, but my first time in management, I was it was literally a, the company got bought. I got laterally moved from a position that wasn't management into management with no training, nothing. And they just expected me to do this. Yeah. That's the other thing is a lot of companies and a lot of, you know, know, your manager will not remember how little they knew about managing people. And they'll go, Oh, you're, you're a good coder. So you can manage coders. And it's a completely different skill set. Hmm. I will say I really like what's going on at, at my job because you know the next progression for me is into a lead developer position. Right. And so I'm taking some leadership courses but they've kind of provided some opportunities for me to both learn and shine where like so you know there was a few times where I was like the sole developer but now I'm the primary developer. And I have another developer. We're both at the same level, though he's got a lot more experience than me. He's a great guy to work with, too. Like, I think they paired us for that reason, because he's so easy to work with. Yeah. That, you know, it's like, oh, hey. And he he knows. He's like, he and I have talked about it. He's like, yeah, I know you're you're moving up the ladder. He's like, so let's, you know, let me help you (laughs) kind of thing. And People like that are great to work with, but it's also cool because I'm not in a leadership position, but I'm getting to have some of the responsibilities without like about the risk. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you don't get the responsibility first. Usually you get the blame. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of organizations, you know, frankly, I've worked at a couple of places that the promotional strategy was basically like Darth Vader's Star Destroyer. It's like, okay, we choked the member of management out. Let's get another one. <laughs> yeah. And and that that's an awful position. And so like if you have an organization that's actually training you up, that's great. But a lot of people, they've got nothing and they just got thrown in there. Yeah, that's that's true. And like that that happened to me the first time. Yeah. Same. Um, and you know, the thing is, is a lot of times this can kind of start out of a position of insecurity. Uh, because they know their own position is precarious because the previous guy got canned and they got moved mm-hmm. up or the company's position is precarious because a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll cut expenses and they'll cut, you know, senior leadership, you know, they'll, they'll cut people that senior leadership doesn't always get along with and they'll promote people up and pay them less than those guys were getting paid. And you know, the company's not doing well 
and you can't tell your subordinates. And so you're under pressure. Um, a lot of times management just knows stuff that you don't, and they may be micromanaging actually in an attempt to protect you. Yeah. In a lot of cases. You know, I, it, part of this point reminds me or made me think of something from what you said just a moment ago about, you know, stepping up and not really knowing or being insecure in their position, going along with the, it starts with the blame. Because I just remember like when I, my first foray into management was middle management. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. I didn't get the, the lead. Like it wasn't like, all right, I'm a developer. I moved to a lead developer. It was like being a developer and moving straight to development manager. Cause you're still reporting to the director, but you've got middle, like you've got another layer of management under you. Like I moved straight into middle management and middle management is the absolute worst in my opinion because you don't have the authority you need to do things but you get blamed on both sides right so like if your subordinates who are also managing people have a problem they blame you because you're their connection to upper management and upper management blames you and so it's like that was rough well and it, that's really true of any layer of management <laughs> You know, between the the grunt and the CEO, it's just it gets easier to deal with because you you have the political capital yeah. to handle it, and, and you got the experience versus just getting thrown in there and not being aware of those dynamics. It's like the first time somebody deals with a really uptight designer or project manager or QA, and they're not used to that dynamic. I mean, it mm-hmm. nails you the first time, and this yeah. is usually in a situation where you're doing well at your job and you've got a lot of sunk cost and you don't want to be in a bad situation. And so, yeah, it, it scares people and they micromanage as a result. You know, it can also occur because you, someone on your team or even someone at a previous or employer of your boss was unreliable and had to be overmanaged in order to get them to do their job. Yeah. And you may just look like that person. Like there may be nothing else that connects you other than you remind them of this person. And so they're going to treat you that way. It could be that the C sharp developer at their last job, you know, the API developer was unreliable and had to be overmanaged. but you know, the DBA and the UI developers were great. And so they, the manager may not even realize they're doing it. Yeah. If you're that, that API developer, it's just because of your role. Yeah, and they may just think that, hey, people in these roles need a lot of support from managers. Yeah. The other thing is, is this can also reflect the lack of knowledge on the part of your manager. For instance, if you get a manager who's not familiar with tech and is trying to manage a tech team, they will tend to overmanage because they just don't understand what's going on. They either overmanage or they don't show up. Yeah. The ones who are good at management, they don't stay there long. Though, honestly... With these, I'm reminded of that TV show, uh, IT Crowd, British show. Have you seen it? No. Is that the one that talks about the bungee boss? Or that was Dilbert. That it's like Dilbert, the boss yeah. that's here and then he gets pulled back <laughs> out. <laughs> no, this is this is this um, this woman works for this company and she gets promoted and like she thinks she's getting like up into the executive level. And she's actually very unpopular, so they put her over the IT department, which are these two really nerdy guys that are just hilarious. And, like, it's a comedy. It's a sitcom. 
a, a British sitcom, but yeah, check it out. You'll, you'll find it. It's quirky and yeah. All right. So back on topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that we've talked about reasons people become micromanagers, we're going to look at some ways of dealing with them. Starting off with what not to do. Yeah. The, the thing is, is everybody has instinctive reactions that are not necessarily good. For instance, you probably have every right to get defensive about micromanagement because it's somebody you know getting up in your space. The problem is, is that this is pretty much useless and counterproductive. And it might cause you even more problems where they feel like they have to be there because if he got so defensive, what's he trying to hide? Yeah. Another thing not to do, especially if you think you're clever enough to pull this off because you're not, is malicious compliance. So you might think you can be clever by following the wording of management instructions directly instead of the intent of those directions. You know, thinking that you can make them back off. This mostly just ticks people off. Yeah, that's that's not ever going to work out well for you. Let's just, you know, I mean, let's be honest, Will, you and I have both done that at yeah. one time or another in our much younger lives. years. Yes. Yeah. Especially college age when you're dumb and think that that is a smart thing to do. Yeah. Think you're being clever, like literally yeah, we we thought we were being clever doing stuff like that. Yeah, and, and it just never works. It wasn't. No, it it never does. Um, along the same vein, though, rather than being passive aggressive, which is what that is, don't be overtly aggressive either. And arguing with management, you know, you're far better off asking questions that lead them to questioning their own viewpoint rather than trying to assert your viewpoint. Not only is it hard to convince people, but your manager is very likely to have information that you don't have. Yeah. Well, plus there's a power differential. I mean, like they have power. You don't. You you can't come at them aggressively. Another thing is don't try to go around them. Uh, Don't go to their boss about them. That's a big no-no. This erodes trust and it is extremely counterproductive. Um, even if the micromanager is removed, because now the people above them know that you can't be trusted. Like the only time you you would go above your manager is if your manager did something that like like an just, HR complaint or a yeah did something illegal. Yeah, like that that would be why you would go to them. Um, you know, but yeah, you you want to to avoid that if you can, though. Sometimes you're, if you're working on a high profile project, you're working very closely with your manager's manager and their manager. And so it's, they're all sort of together and you just, you know, you know, I sent an email out today to my, to my lead developer and our IT director because, you know, they're both involved in this. And it's like, all right, you know, yeah, you just got to be real careful not to, throw them under the bus and you try to make them look good. Yeah. Another thing is, is don't complain to your coworkers. Uh, The thing is, is if a workplace is micromanaged, it tends to get backstabby. And so if you do this for one thing, word is going to get back to that manager because somebody will throw you under the bus. Um, 
But the other thing is, is if that micromanager leaves, one of those people gets promoted. Guess what kind of problem you have now? Yeah. Like it just, it never like getting into the whole gossip circle. It just doesn't help anything. You're not going to improve anything by doing that. Mm -hmm. And then don't work extra to try and get them off your back because that becomes a, a behavior that they expect out of you. And you know, it, it's one thing if, yeah, you've got a deadline and you work extra for a month or two to hit it and then you stop. It's another thing if it's like, all right, I'm just going to continually work extra. Not, you know, we're not under any pressure. I just want them to leave me alone because yeah. they're not going to leave you alone. They're just going to be there micromanaging your extra work. Well, because they know they get more work out of you for the same pay. Yeah. Now, I mean, like that you have rewarded their extremely dysfunctional strategy of management. And guess what? You just trained them. Yeah, that's true. So let's talk about stuff that actually does work. Uh, The first thing is to improve your communications. So improve the way that you report to your management. Uh, They should be able to tell what you're doing and how things are progressing without having to ask you. If they can't do this, they're going to ask because they have to know. So get that handled. Yeah. Also, ask better questions. Like, seriously, really pin down what they want from you and ask questions about your project. At least some of the reasons people become micromanagers have to do with their perception of the flow of information to you. Yeah. So like if you hired a painter and you said, paint this room and you don't tell them what color and they said, okay, and they're going to go do it. Like how confident are you that it's going to turn out right? I would have zero confidence in that. Um, and yeah. I mean, that's it a might not even all be the same color. Yeah. We don't know <laughs> what they're going to paint it with. <laughs> Um, I mean, like that's legitimately a thing. They may go, Hey, this person did not ask enough questions. I need to be available for when they figure out they're in over their head. Yeah. And then finally under this, improve your presence in meetings. Now, if you appear to be ignoring them during meetings, managers will often assume that you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and to them, that means that they have to tell you what you need to be doing constantly yeah. while you're doing even if, it. Even if you were taking or, you know, even if you were paying attention, if your body language says that you're not, you're sitting there with your arms crossed and you're staring at the desk and tapping your foot or you're doodling. You know, I knew a guy that used to doodle during every meeting and there was somebody other than me. <laughs> Sometimes it was me too, but the thing is, yeah, it looks like you're that. not paying attention. And yeah, it just really gets you in, in a bad place. Next, improve your compliance to standard. Yeah. So find out what your manager's expectations actually are. It's possible that you're being micromanaged because your work is just not up to snuff in some way. And they maybe didn't tell you. Some managers don't really communicate very well. And if you fix that stuff, a lot of times the problem will go away. That's, that's very true. You know, I've seen that and I I've seen, managers who didn't trust their mid-level managers like right and so they were micromanaging the developers when because they didn't trust the leads right 
to understand what was going on. And so they were, they were trying to communicate with the developers and it just, yeah, like it's, it's an interesting thing. I kind of blended the last point with this one because I started talk like it reminded me of that. And I started talking, I realized, Oh, well that kind of blends in with the last one. All right. So also under this help establish standards, if there aren't any, Oh my goodness, this can be super useful. The problem with that though, is when you have too many people establishing standards and yeah. Well, and that's why you write them out, right? Like if they don't have them laid out, write some of them up and then hand it to management. This could be a guidebook for yourself and or any incoming teammates. And if you do this right, management will use these to clarify their position further. It's also, if you really want to, if you really do feel like backstabbing somebody, this is a socially acceptable way to do it (laughs) in a lot of organizations, because probably the person that you're dealing with that you you know, are not getting along with well isn't going to take this well, but it, you're actually helping the organization. I, I, so. I wasn't really thinking about it from that perspective. I was thinking more like, all right, so by doing this, you can also establish, hey, the way I'm doing it is the right way. Right. Well, you that's know? that's kind of the thing, right? Of course, you need to be doing it at least somewhere similar to the right way. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, you'll go in there and you'll you'll start writing out standards. You go, man, you know, I really should do this better. Or you start researching and you go, oh, oh, yeah, I've been looking I've at this that. completely wrong. And when you explain that to management, you go, hey, I haven't been doing this, but I think we should. That's yeah. a whole nother better way to fix things. I mean, like you don't want to be passive aggressive towards your coworkers, but a lot of times the lack of standards is part of the reason that this stuff is happening because the manager doesn't really know what they want and if they have a document now they do and and the other thing is you know take better notes when you're being evaluated and then use those notes so if you have a one-on-one with your manager start asking about what you can improve you know and come up with a plan for improving and then execute on it Uh, micromanagement makes your manager tired too so if you get that pressure off of them they may stop doing it if they can get the same results or better with less effort that's what they're going to do so the next thing that we're going to talk about under options for dealing with micromanagers kind of blends with with the next section, but that is dealing with deadlines. You want to keep up to date before the manager asks. Um, I remember I had a, a manager uh, when I first started, and this was like upper management, you know, director level. Uh, and her attitude was, if you tell me you're going to be late, like, let's say we're doing three week sprints. If you tell me, you know, week one or week two that, Hey, we hit, we hit a problem. We're not sure we're going to make the deadline. That's fine. You know, you work hard, you keep going. If you wait until the review to say, Oh, Hey, we ran into this problem back in week one. And we weren't able to hit it because we need an extra week or we're waiting on this third party to do this thing or something like that. She was going to get upset. So knowing like being up to date of what's going on uh, is really, really important. Yeah. I mean, you get into the whole web architecture thing here, right? Because it's like the difference between a web hook and polling. You know, the way we used to check to see if something was done on a server was hit it over and over again because we didn't have another way to really do things. Yeah. And polling is essentially micromanagement. Yeah. And you don't want that. It's not efficient for you or for the server. So it's, it's the same kind of architectural uh, consideration 
the other thing is, is the updates need to be predictable. Yeah, you want to send them on a regular, predictable basis at the same time every day. I, I don't send updates every day. Uh, I don't have to, but yeah, I send a weekly status report, but uh, it's the same. It's I have it in my calendar on Friday mornings at 8.30, you know, write and send status report. Like it goes out every every week at the exact same time. Yeah, I mean, I think, Probably one of the things here, too, is a lot of times you have a time tracking system or an issue tracking system. If you keep that up to date, that kind of functions in the same way. But basically, the idea is to make it where it's easier for them to check the system instead of checking you. Yeah, I I guess that makes sense. I mean, like if you're using something like a, a Kanban board or Jira or some type of like task tracker, then have like a regular time to update that. Like for me, it's it's the end of my day that's built into my schedule is like, that's when I go and I update my tasks. It it helps a lot um, because you got to bear in mind, these managers may have to give an update to their manager. Yeah. And, and so you want to make it easy on them so that you're not in the middle of all that. That's why I send mine on Fridays because that my manager has to give an update on Mondays. Yep. And so I send it Friday. Yeah, like, you know, I send it, he wants it by Friday afternoon. I send it by Friday morning so that if anything comes up, I can still get it to him. But yeah, he he has that Monday for his update. So yeah. Yeah, and I would say the other thing with deadlines is learn why a deadline is there so that you can actually be useful in regards to the deadline. You need to know why you're doing something so that you make better decisions when management isn't there. You want to have better dynamic decisions. So like at work, uh, we're in the middle of a bit of a death march right now, basically till Friday. Um, You know, it's just like a two week, just, you know, all hands on deck. We've got this deadline. And it was interesting watching people react to this because there were some people that were pretty irritated that they were being asked to work over. And then there were a bunch of us that were like, okay, what does this get the company? You know, what, what's the upside, you know, to the organization for this thing? Like, you know, why is it, why is it needed, you know, in this time frame? let's figure out all those pieces and then let's go. And, you know, the interesting thing is the people that, that found out why we're already done with most of yeah. the stuff we have to do. And the people that were upset that they had to do it and didn't ask why they did not make as good a decision on a lot of things. And so Makes they were sense. slower. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about, you know, the, the approaches that you can take that will help improve your relationship with that micromanager. And the first one is to help them feel in control. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't be like, was it Bane in the Batman movie? I think it was Bane. Do you feel in control? (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) No. Instead, ask for advice. Even if you don't necessarily need it, sometimes you get good advice but more often you get support and this can be especially helpful for long term career advice you know done properly the micromanager can turn into like they can turn it into something that diligently tries to cultivate you for a position that you want in the future right instead of just trying to get something done they're like okay here's the thing i can kind of dangle out in front of them and you both win yeah. Out of it. And 
you know, this is also good for, this is good advice asking for advice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for finding a mentor. Yeah. Because that's a great way to, to initiate that is to ask them for advice on something not directly related to what you're doing, but related to like the overall picture or, Hey, how do I handle this situation and stuff like that? Or just asking for another pair of eyes sometimes. Yeah. And that way too, you can see if their advice is crap before you ask about something really important that they're going to expect you to follow. Um, let's just going to throw that one out there. Cause I've had one or two of those too. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the advice also doesn't have to be entirely work-related. Uh, a lot of times it's better if it isn't. This can be anything from, you know, hey, what's a good restaurant around here? To discussing a ball game. I mean, like you can you can have normal conversations or kind of go back and forth on something that isn't work. This is a technique for building rapport more than anything. Um, and that's something a lot of text. Oh, I want to see Will ask someone about a ball game. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, I'll ask about food <laughs> recommendations, though. Like first day, anywhere I go, I, I walk up to somebody and go, tell me where I can go around here that's greasy and spicy. That like that. Everybody that's managed me has had that question put to them. <laughs> uh, I see that. That's mainly because I'm hungry. It's not me be, being strategic here. <laughs> it's, you know, um, the idea here is that it tends to make them feel like they have already given input so that they don't constantly feel that they need to and you get more useful stuff out of it also make sure that you act on their advice the thing about this is credit for the advice is more important than strictly following it yeah so for example i'm, I'm going to use will's food for example he may ask for a good food recommendation and then go to the restaurant next door and he can say, oh, hey, so-and-so told me about this place, but they were packed. And so I ended up at this other one and I'm really glad they told me about the first place. And so like they get credit, even though he didn't go to the restaurant they told him about. Yeah. And I totally have done that because they were packed and I did appreciate the recommendation, <laughs> right? Like it's, this doesn't have to be disingenuous. It should not be disingenuous. No, it shouldn't. No. Yeah. But a lot of times like tech people, like we, we like to act like we know everything. And so we won't ask for advice. and that tends to make people want to give us advice that yeah, we didn't it's a ask weird for. thing. Yeah. When you, when you act like you don't need it, people want to give it to you. Yeah. But on that note, true of a lot of things actually. Yeah. The, the next point we have here is to reinforce improved behavior. You know, make sure that you aren't discouraging behavior that is positive. You may have trained your manager to act the way they do. You know, if the rest of the team isn't being micromanaged, but you are, there's a really good chance that you cause the situation. Yeah. I mean, and this is simple stuff, right? Like don't start, you know, being a complete slacker because they're not looking right. Like managers, you know, when you do that thing where the manager walks behind you and all of a sudden they, they hear you suddenly tapping on the keyboard when they've only been hearing you click the mouse for the last 10 minutes. Like that's a tell and people pick up on that. Even when they're not necessarily paying attention, they get that impression like that. That's a very subconscious thing. Cause I used to work with a guy that would browse Reddit all day and then he management would come up and he would suddenly switch from using his mouse to using his keyboard and just start you know, his fingers would fly all over the keyboard. Like he's working like crazy. And it's like, dude, I heard your mouse clicking like all day. And then I got up and all of a sudden you're typing like, don't do that. That trains people to look over your shoulder. 
Also, give feedback in a way that is helpful and tactful to help your manager. Like, you don't want to say, you know, angrily, I can't get this done with you constantly asking me every five minutes if it's done. But you might say, hey, give me 30 minutes and I'll I'll get back to you on it. Or, you know, I'll tell you, like, I'll give you an update after lunch. That yeah. gets you a couple hours to work on it. Or say something like, okay, this is top priority, but how does it compare to the previous top priority? Like, what's what's the layout on that? Oh, yeah. Just, I actually had to send, send an email like that out uh, just this past week. And I don't have a micromanager. It was, we had a third party build something for us, like a consultant build something. And we're in the process of taking over ma- uh, maintenance of it. And so my lead is like, I don't want to be the only one who knows the system. So I'm going to get the other API developers in. And I was like, so she kept including me in things. I'm like, all right, uh, I'm in an email with her and the project manager and like our IT director. And I'm like, so project I'm working on is still my priority, right? My understanding is that I'm just here to kind of see where things are so that, you know, my lead isn't the only one who knows this, you know, because they're trying to schedule stuff. And I'm like, I'm pretty packed as it is. And, you know, it, it came back from both my lead and the project manager. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're just, we want you to know what's going on, but no, you don't have to come to like all of these meetings. And I'm like, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause they're, they're, they're talking about stuff and I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't even I, I know got, what that is. <laughs> Well, I'm like, I've got other meetings at that time that are related to my primary project. Like, guys, I I can't be in two places at once. If I could, one of them wouldn't be here. (laughs) 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 You you don't necessarily want to put it that way, but yeah. So another strategy here is to tailor your behavior to how your manager's manager evaluates them. So this can be a little tricky to figure out. But you can watch for situations where they say one thing, but act in a way that doesn't fit with that. They act in a completely different way. So like, for instance, they say, oh, you know, code quality is the top priority, but they're constantly rushing people. That's a clue. The speed of delivery is the priority. Code quality is not. Yeah. And that's probably being imposed from above. So if you deliver to that instead of to the code quality thing that they're talking about, that takes pressure off of them. And Another thing that you can you can do is, you know, if it's known that hey you're you're wanting to move up, like you know I have I have talked to my lead developer about her performance plan, and I'm like because she writes mine, and I was like hey you know what what is on yours so that I can start working towards those. Like if it's like you have to get these specific trainings, I'm like, you know, eventually I do want to move up to be a lead developer. And, you know, when she moves up, that position will be open. I'm like, hey, when when you move up, I want to move into this one. So what is it like? What are your requirements? So I can start meeting some of them now. Now, obviously, I can't meet all of them. I can't like, you know, if it's right the performance plans in a certain time. I'm like, well, I don't write performance plans. There's nothing. I can't do that, but I can be looking at some of the other things like, Oh, Hey, there's these trainings that I can do as a developer that will help me when I go there. So like looking at what their like, if you have performance plans and stuff like that, what theirs is 
will help you understand like how they're evaluated and what's important to them. Well, and the other thing too, is it just gets to their, you know, their incentive structure. Like if yeah. you're matching their incentive structure at the very least, if there's more people that are reporting to them other than you, and they know that their needs are handled as far as you're concerned, they're going to bother other people if nothing else. Yeah. So it, it can also keep them uh, busy, but you do really have to be careful not to inherently trust what they tell you. you know, trust what your own experience and your own eyes tells you is true um, because the, like they will say the wrong things um, for whatever so, reason. Yeah. Well, it's, it's probably a matter of image too. Like they want to appear to like, they may not even realize that they're being motivated, like going back to the, you know, code quality is important, but being rushed, they may not realize themselves that, Hey, I'm really not valuing code quality. That's why I'll lean. That's something that we talk about in the, you know, in a lot of episodes on this podcast is understanding your own motivations and what's driving you. And, you know, if they're not at that level where they, they can look and go, Oh, Hey, I know I'm saying this, but what I'm doing isn't, isn't coinciding with what I'm saying. They may not be there. Like, I I don't know that it's a malicious thing. Oh, it almost certainly isn't. Yeah. 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 People respond to incentives and their incentives may not be what they think they are. Yeah. And that's that. So guys, we have some final options here that, uh, that we're going to go over. And the first one, I know we, we said at the beginning, you know, that we're going to talk about things you can do that aren't quitting. Well, one of the final options, the first final options is you can always quit and find something else may not seem easy. And, you know, it may mean, you know, taking your time definitely to find something else. But if the only other option is to burn bridges, this may be the safest way to get out of the situation. Yeah. The thing is with micromanagers, it can also make it very difficult to do a phone screening for another job because they're right there and you can't get away. I mean, I worked at a company that um, this wasn't a phone screening thing. This was like trying to get a loan for a new house after we'd sold our old one. And then the one we were going to buy fell through and it's like, Hey, my family's not going to have a place to live here in a month. I have to get, I have to get this loan stuff squared away. And I had a, I had a guy that was not a manager, but he wanted to micromanage everybody anyway, yelling at me when I was on the phone with the loan officer at the bank during lunch because I need to get back to the salt mines and work. And so if you're looking for another job, you may run into that dynamic as well. So you're you're going to have to think about what that looks like. Um, yeah, I had a situation out. today where I went to go make lunch and like missed a call from our QA. And I was like, oh man, like I'll exp- like we have to explain that I'm like was in the kitchen and stuff like that. And like, cause I, I come back and I saw it. And so I sent her a, a message and she's like, all right, well, like, you know, can we hop on a call now? I'm like, yeah, sure. So we get on the and call eat. and she's like, like, she was like, so were you walking your dogs or making lunch? <laughs> Yeah, like not not even upset. I was worried about it, but she was just like, "So, were you walking the dog or or eating lunch?" I'm like, "I was eating lunch," and then I took the dog out. I was like, "I'm usually not available during during this time," and she's like, "I I realized that after I called you." Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I've done the exact same thing, 
where you realize it after you've done uh, after you've already made the call and so yeah but you know so that's sort of a one of those funny situations but yeah uh, another thing you can do with a micromanager is to try to shift your work hours so that they don't overlap with your manager's hours as much yeah if you can get away with that so if they come yeah. in at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> come in at six and you've done a half day before they get there yeah if you can do that and yeah. yeah there's there's a lot of variables involved in that but yeah the other thing you can do um to avoid quitting is to move within the organization somewhere that has a different management style and sometimes this can be really the the best option for you because you don't have to leave the company you get to work you know with some of the same people and stuff and you don't have that micromanager right there on you yeah, and you don't have to fill out new insurance paperwork after getting a new job. Screw <laughs> you know? that, man. Yeah. Screw that. So guys, you're eventually going to have to deal with a micromanager and emotional and frustration-driven reactions will not serve you well most of the time. Instead, you're going to have to come up with ways to convince a micromanager that you're actually competent and that it is in their best interest to leave you alone. To do this, you have to get outside of your own head and into the head of your manager. However, like most scenarios where you're trying to understand another person, you will never have a perfect understanding of why they're acting the way that they do. Instead, you have to work with incomplete information and attempt to modify your manager's behavior by changing your own behavior. While this can be time-consuming and difficult, it's often worth doing as reformed micromanagers can be some of the biggest advocates for you if you pull this off. Regardless. If you have much of a career at all, you're going to eventually run into a micromanager or two along the way, and you might as well have a strategy for dealing with them. That pretty much wraps us up. Beach, uh, what do you have for us for Tricks of the Trade? So reading through this episode before we recorded it reminded me, and we, we kind of talked about it from a personal standpoint, of people who are in some type of authority or leadership position for the first time. Uh, because it doesn't just apply to to work. I remember, it was, I can't remember if this was like right before college. No, no, it was it was up uh, up there. So yeah, it was like in college. We went on a church retreat with the high school and college students, and one of the guys who had like recently gotten out of school, like graduated college, he had never had any type of responsibility authority whatsoever. Um, before and they made him like a junior counselor type thing and like the year before we had been on the same retreat and he was the biggest goofball there was like playing pranks and just you know having a lot of fun all of a sudden same person a year later is given some authority and he was like one of the strictest disciplinarians like downright mean at times and like I I remember because I had seen this happen before. I remember some of the guys who had known him like most of their lives were so mad at him and they were just like, you know, what's going on? Why is he being this way and all this stuff? And I, I pulled them aside and I had to be like, look guys, this, this is what happens. Like this is his first time ever having any responsibility and it's probably scary for him. Yeah. Like, you know, he he is scared that he's going to mess up and someone might get hurt. He's going to mess up and and these things. And so that's why he's behaving this way. And like having that conversation and just putting that in perspective for them 
they they were a little bit more lenient on him. Uh, I mean, you know, they still played pranks on him, but oh yeah, you're not going to stop that. But you know, it's a bunch of guys on a church retreat. Pranks happen. Um, uh, the thing is, the underlying problem with micromanagement isn't just in the workplace. You know, the when we talked about how a micromanager is born, that is like that attitude is beyond just the workplace. Those things happen outside of work. You'll find it in all areas of life, from volunteering to school to relationships and even some friendships. You know, basically it, it what it boils down to is it's a matter of control or feeling in control. That's why one of the the first things we talked about in like how to improve your relationship with them is to help them feel in control. You know, the micromanager, they may be uncomfortable with having authority or uncomfortable sharing authority or control of situations. And that can apply to more than just work, like sharing authority in a relationship, sharing authority in a school project. Like it's, it's more than just in that work environment, but the strategies we discussed in this episode can be applied in a lot of those situations. Um, the thing is the way you handle it will vary based on the situation. You know, for example, improving your communication will help almost any situation or relationship, but you may not be able to quit school or drop a class because of that, or you might not want to leave a relationship. So like the, these different strategies apply differently in these situations. And so you need to assess the situation you're in and determine the best way to apply the strategy. We talked about it from a work perspective, but you can look at these and think about how could I apply this in a school setting? If you're in school, how can I apply this in a friendship when you have a controlling friend or something like that. So that's all I've got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.